Good morning, everyone. We have just about made it to the end of another year, and I'm sure you're all sick of hearing people say that it has been a year like no other, a year that didn't quite turn out as we had expected. This time last year in this place, um, we were feeling a sense of excitement building as our redevelopment program for this building was nearing completion. And we were preparing for a grand opening that was going to happen in the early months of the new year, which turned out to be this year. But we didn't ever quite really get there, did we? In fact, most of what we planned for 2020 didn't quite eventuate, either personally or as a, as a church together. And just a couple of days ago, I believe I found the perfect illustration for what this year has been like. And I believe it is best summed up by the Christmas dessert that I prepared this year for our family's Christmas meal. Every year, our extended family gathers together and the host family is in charge of the main meal and the other families, one will bring entree and one will bring dessert and one will bring everything else. And normally when I'm not hosting, I get desserts and so I got desserts this year and so I did an American style pumpkin pie because I've been very fond of them ever since Bruce and I travelled the national parks around Utah around about Thanksgiving one year. And I did a fruit salad for the people that don't like heavy desserts. And I also made a chocolate caramel mango tart which I was later going to cover with toasted macadamias and caramelised bits of coconut chips. And I'll show you what it looked like right there. And I was pretty happy with how it turned out. I thought the caramel, macadamia and mango was a genius flavour combination. Turned out to be not quite so genius. Perhaps my biggest mistake with this recipe was actually not using a recipe because unbeknown to me, when you put mangoes with caramel, something in the mangoes dissolves the caramel and you end up with slop. <laughs> so when we set out for my brother's place, this is what the dessert looked like, having had its mangoes freshly put on top. And when we arrived, <laughs> this is what I delivered to my family. <laughs> By the time we arrived, Half of the mangoes had made their exit from the top of the tart and were in the bottom of the box, which we had carried the thing in. And those that hadn't made their exit were sort of slowly sinking into white kind of quicksand, which was the dissolved caramel. I don't know, it went from brown to white. And it looked like toxic sludge, but my family still ate it. No one in the family will ever forget Caroline's 2020 Christmas dessert offering because it turned out nothing like I had planned. But still, we covered it in macadamias and coconut chips so that we couldn't see what was underneath. And we made the best of it. Joel actually asked me today, last night, if I was going to make it again for my husband's family's Christmas lunch, which is on today but there's no way I'm going anywhere near that dessert again. For many people, it has been a very tough year that didn't turn out anything like we had planned. 
For some, there has been a great sense of separation from loved ones, particularly those loved ones who are overseas or interstate. For others, there was no separation from the loved ones that they were cooped up with for all of the winter. <laughs> there has been much change. There has been change to our working arrangements. There has been change to our living arrangements. There has been change to our schooling arrangements. There has been change in financial circumstances for many people. There has been change at church. There has been change in our social lives. Change has been everywhere. How have you travelled through 2020? The end of the year and the beginning of a new year is always a great time to pause and reflect and no year more so perhaps than this year. We look back each year and we think about the milestones, the highs and the lows, the achievements and the struggles. We think about the year ahead, we think about the things we did, we think about the things we wish we did. And we think about the things that we might like to build upon for next year or do differently if we could do them again. Christians and non-Christians alike, they all do this. And we see evidence of it in the New Year's resolutions that many people make or the lists that they prepare of things that they want to do, bucket lists and that sort of thing. This morning, I want to lead you through, at least partway through, an ancient Christian practice that comes out of the Jesuit tradition that helps us move beyond what were the highs and the lows and how do I want to do things differently in the future to looking for God's hand at work in all of the experiences of our lives. I guess you could say it's kind of a way of stopping to take notice of what God is doing and to discern his direction for us. The process is called examine. It is a reflective style of prayer. Some of you may be familiar with it. Ignatius required the Jesuits to practice examine twice a day, once at midday and once at the end of the day. Twice a day, two opportunities to stop and intentionally look for the hand of God at work in the day-to-day -day of our lives. It is a great way to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. And it's something that I like to try and do as I lay my head down on the pillow each night and more formally once a week, reviewing the week that's been and thinking about what lies ahead. You can review any period of time. You can do a day, a week, doesn't matter. But the end of each year, I think, lends itself particularly well to this style of prayer. To assist those of you that might like to explore this a little further, perhaps during the week yourself, I'll try and provide some links to online resources in our next announcements when they come out. Um, or if you want to make a start, you can simply search up end of year examine and you'll get plenty of resources coming up there. Many of us evangelical types are not naturally predisposed to the more contemplative styles of prayer such as this. For some of you, it will be a struggle. We prefer to approach God in prayer with our lists 
and to fill any void with our many, many words that we bring to God. Rather than approaching him without much of an agenda and waiting upon him. And this is to our great loss because there is much to be gained from some of these more contemplative styles of prayer. And we're going to begin this morning by having a look at the elements of examine adapted from the spiritual exercises of Ignatius. And the first thing we are encouraged to do is to become aware of God's presence. And you might ask, well, how how do I do that? Is there going to be a warm feeling when God is very near to me? Or is there going to be some sort of electrical buzz that I should be feeling? How can I make myself more aware of God's presence? And we start by simply stopping. The hardest part of all of this is the very first act. And that is to deliberately pause your life to make time for prayerful reflection. Tear yourself away from activity. Stop and set aside time to just rest in God's presence. And this time of year is the ideal time to do that because you have that break from the normal activities of life where you can set aside time to just rest in his presence. Calm your spirit and that might take longer than you think. And then when you're ready, Ask that he would enable you by his Holy Spirit to step out of your blinkered individual view of reality and to gain something of his perspective. Not only that you might see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of all of those individual events and things that have happened, the triumphs and the tragedies, but that you would see them with his wisdom, his compassion, and his grace. Ask him to help you see not just your actions, but your very self as he sees you, as a child created in his own image. Many of the problems that Christians experience come from having a faulty view of how God perceives them. We are all children of God, precious children, and he loves us. And so we proceed with that perspective. Now, the amount of time you might spend in each part of the process of examine will vary from person to person. But for me, this first step is the most difficult because naturally I'm a person that likes to do things, to be running around busy doing things. And so it's harder for me to slow down and focus and I have to dedicate time in that part of the practice before moving on. And you might find that there are certain scriptures that are helpful to you in doing this. Scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Or Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43, 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honoured, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Or Romans 8.17, now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-workers with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The second step is to look back on your year or week or day or whatever period of time you're using, using that godly perspective that was part of your step one. Think about the year that has been. What have been your highlights? Name them before God and give thanks for his goodness to you. In which areas of your life have you struggled? What have you been grateful for in those struggles? Ask God to show you where your actions may have been hurtful to others or where you may have been a poor representation of him. And take time to repent of those things. Step two goes hand, to hand, hand in hand with step three, which is to check your emotional reactions as you're going to the various incidents and situations, to ask for his perspective on the way that you are and have been responding emotionally. And it's a great temptation to move on very quickly here. No one finds anything if they do not bother to look. It's easy to shrug this step off and say, no, no, nothing much phased me in this year. We got through it, it was fine, not a problem. And 10 years later, you're still harboring a grudge against someone and they don't even know what you're harboring a grudge about. Examine is a way of bringing your emotions before God and of reining them in if they do not reflect a godly response. It's also a way of learning about yourself as you consider what your emotional reactions reveal about your own character. So this morning, as you think about 2020, which words would you use to describe your own feelings and emotions this year? And if I asked you to narrow it down to one word, what would that word be? Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking them which word you chose, but I'm guessing that contented probably didn't feature highly for most of us. There are two further steps to the prayer of examine, and we'll return to those a little bit later on. But for now, I want to get us to get a godly perspective on what it means to be content. Many people might describe 2020 as a year of discontent. In Victoria, we began the year with horrific bushfires and a reminder that those are likely to become more ferocious and more frequent in the years to come because of our impacts on the climate. And then just as the recovery effort began to take effect, of course, we were hit with the pandemic. And all of you know the rest of the story because you all lived through it just as I did. 
those slow days that seemed like they might never end, when the most exciting thing we had to look forward to was the daily press conference and a list of, of numbers. Those numbers would go down a bit, only a couple of days later to go back up again. And we were told to be patient and to focus on 14-day averages. Most of us found that we lacked a great deal of patience. The lives of our friends in other states were beginning to return to normal. Meanwhile, very little about what we were doing resembled normal. We didn't leave our homes much, and when we did, we gave neighbours and friends and anyone that we might see in the parks or the shops a very wide berth. We treated anyone who was clearing their throat with the utmost of suspicion, and we struggled to teach our own kids and do our own jobs and to do all of the things that we needed to do. Some worried about how they might pay bills, keep businesses going, and others became fearful about leaving their homes. Were you the image of contentment in those days? I don't think I was. What were your predominant emotions during that time? How did you react? How did your reactions affect others around you? Were you anxious or at peace? Were you easygoing or short-tempered? Were you resentful or grateful? How did you see God's hand at work in your life during that time? Have you bothered to stop long enough to consider what God has been doing in your life during this time? And now that life is returning to some semblance of normal, are you in any way different or are you just eager to pick up back where you left off? What have you learned about yourself? And the most important question of all, did you become more like Christ during this time or less like Christ during this time? You know, the word content is one of those words that now has a completely different meaning in day-to-day -day language to what it does in the Bible. Google's dictionary definition says that to be content is to be in a state of peaceful happiness. But the Holman Bible Dictionary defines content as an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstance. Can you see the critical difference between the two? By Google's definition, we must be happy to be content. And perhaps that explains a lot about the way that we live our lives. We are never satisfied because happiness is always one step further away than where we are right now. We're like the pilot whose co-pilot used to always notice that he would look intently down while they flew over a certain valley. So one day he asked his friend and colleague, what's so interesting about that spot down there? You always look down whenever we pass over it. And the pilot replied, see that stream down there? When I was a kid, I used to sit there on a log and fish. And every time a plane flew over, I would look up and wish that I were flying. And now I look down and wish that I was sitting on the log, fishing. <laughs> and we're no different. We buy our first home, 
There is much happiness and excitement. But it's not long before we realise that actually there are many homes better than this home that we've bought. It's only a foot into the market. And if we could upgrade, we would. And eventually we come to that point where we can upgrade and so we upgrade and we're so much happier. Until we see the home that so-and-so has just built, their home is so much better. We would be so much more satisfied if we had a kitchen like their kitchen and a bathroom like their bathroom. You can substitute whatever you like for the home in that example, clothes, shoes, cars, kitchens, <coughs> furniture, a holiday. For as long as being content is tied up in our own happiness, it's a state that we're never going to attain. Fortunately, the biblical use of the word has nothing to do with happiness. Do you want to know the secret to contentment? And I wished at this point that I had a little clip of the Beatles song to play, but I don't. Some of you know which song I'm talking about. The rest of you are all just looking blank. Listen, do you want to know a secret? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He writes from his jail cell. And he writes a letter of thanks to them. And in it, he gives them a lesson in what it means to be content. So we're going to read that passage now from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Sorry, I just lost my screen at the back, <laughs> which makes it a bit hard. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at, least, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. very first thing that the Apostle Paul tells us about this secret of contentment, and I mean contentment in the biblical sense of the word, is that it is learned. It doesn't come naturally to us. We're not born content. We don't acquire it as we grow up. We certainly don't suddenly become contented the moment we accept Christ. According to Paul, we have to learn 
to be content. This is a spiritual secret and as with most things in life, learning it takes discipline and experience. Many of you, like me, would have learned your times tables by rote. No doubt it took many long evenings reciting those times tables until you knew them by heart. What you learned through discipline is then refined by putting it into practice. And what we don't use, we tend to lose. I rarely use my 12 times tables. I rarely buy 12 of anything that doesn't come in a single egg carton. So I'm a bit more fuzzy on the 12 times tables than I am the rest of them. Think of a weightlifter. All that muscle and bulk is built by lifting weights. Stop using them and you lose that bulk. A spiritual secret is learned by spiritual discipline, by faithfully spending time in God's word and in prayer, by serving others. It is learned through worship. It is learned through hospitality, through scripture memorization, through reflection, through journaling, through confession, through silence and obedience and fellowship with other believers and a whole host of other disciplines. And it is refined by experience, by applying it through the ups and downs of life. And Paul had certainly had a fair share of ups and downs in his life. Contentment, he tells us, has nothing to do with circumstance. Paul had experienced his own dramatic conversion. He'd gone on to have a very effective evangelistic ministry. He had seen multitudes converted. He had planted many churches and mentored many leaders in his life. But life had not always been kind to him. Listen to the list of his sufferings from 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of the concern for all of the churches. The full extent of what he was experiencing is spelled out in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of our life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Christian contentment, says the testimony of Paul, has nothing to do with circumstance. Neither does it have anything to do with what you have. 
since here is a man stripped of all of his material possessions, languishing in a Roman prison. He has lived with plenty and now he has nothing. If anyone had a right to express their discontent with life, it would be Paul. And yet he speaks only of his own contentment. Contentment is not about feelings. It's not about feeling happy. You don't brim with happiness when you're being flogged, when you're fearful for your life, when you're hungry or thirsty or cold and naked. These are not life's happy experiences. Paul found contentment in spite of these experiences and circumstances and in spite of, at times, his lack of the material things in life. Contentment has nothing to do with feelings. Contentment also does not mean merely being satisfied with your current situation. It's not about resigning yourself to your lot in life and gritting your teeth, putting a smile on your face and forcing your way through. Paul was content in his situation, in any situation, but that doesn't mean he just accepted anything and everything that came his way without ever trying to improve his circumstances. When Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, the commander had him laid out to be flogged. Paul pointed out that he was a Roman citizen and he knew what that meant. So did the commander. They were about to flog a Roman citizen who had not yet been found guilty. Immediately they withdrew. Christian contentment does not mean blindly accepting whatever comes your way. The word that is translated in this passage for us as content is a word that implies self-sufficiency. And it was a word that was used by the Stoics of the day. Now, the Stoics were a group of people who subscribed to a certain form of Greek philosophy known as Stoicism. The Stoics refused to allow circumstances to affect their emotions. And from them, we get the modern application of the word Stoic. We might say something like, when he heard the verdict, a look of Stoic resignation came over his face. It means just putting up or accepting one's lot in life. It is characterised by indifference and it is fatalistic. What will be, will be. Christian contentment is not Stoicism. It is characterised by joy. Look at the words of Paul at the beginning of today's passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And remember, he's writing these words from a prison cell on what is most likely to be death row for him. Rather than being fatalistic like the Stoics, Christian contentment, says Paul, comes from trusting our future to our all-sufficient God through whom we can do all that he calls us to do and joyfully handle whatever comes our way. The correct perspective then is not stoical self-sufficiency but finding our sufficiency in Christ.
Many of you, I am sure, would have heard by now the joke going round about New Year's Eve. I usually stay up to see in the new year. This year I'm staying up to make sure that the old one leaves. As you look back on 2020, as you prayerfully consider all that came your way during that year, can you say that you have learned the secret of contentment? Or how about this? What if the problems of 2020 don't just disappear? What if we were all in lockdown again in 2021? What if your 2021 turned out to make 2020 look like a stroll in the park? Could you still echo the words of the Apostle Paul, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. There are two final steps in that prayer of examine that I haven't yet covered. After making your preparations, after looking back on the year that's been and prayerfully examining your emotions and responses, there will likely be one or two incidents or events, perhaps something that has dominated your year, something that you're holding on to, perhaps that you should be letting go of, something that has concerned you particularly, something that has consumed a lot of your time, something that's consumed a lot of your energy, something maybe that just won't go away, it keeps recurring year after year. Whatever it is, let that become the focus of your prayer. And for me, as you've probably guessed by now, for this year, as I've done this exercise throughout the year, it has been this issue of contentment, which is why I wanted to share it this morning. And having a proper view of Christian contentment, particularly through those tough times of trying to juggle homeschooling kids and work and study and ministry. For me, this process of examine has been a wonderful blessing in maintaining a correct perspective through 2020 and all that has brought our way. And I encourage you, if it is not already part of your prayer life, to consider making it a regular part of your prayer life. The final step is to look forward um, prayerfully to the next day or the next week or the next year, whatever period of time you've chosen to seek the Holy Spirit's help in the areas of my life which need to be worked on, to plan things that I need to learn or relationships or activities that I need to put time into, knowing that whatever 2021 might bring, feast, famine, plenty or want, happiness or hardship, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing and what a joy to be children of the living God. What comfort to know that you are near in all of life's circumstances and that we need not be anxious. Forgive us, Lord, when we have sought to be self-sufficient, when we know that Christ is all-sufficient for us. 
Forgive us, Lord, when we have confused contentment with happiness and have moaned about our circumstances. Help us to be more disciplined in our spiritual lives and to trust you for our future so that we might be able to say confidently and joyfully with Paul, I know the secret. I have learned the secret to being content in every situation. Amen. We're going to stand once more and sing our final song, Because He Lives. And he saw they call him Jesus. He came to love, he lent forgive, he bled and died to find my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he. Because Christ lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know he holds the future, and love is worth the living just because he lives and then one day I'll cross the
because he lives. Well, whatever 2021 holds for us individually or as a church, of one thing we can be certain, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Here for a while. Yeah, give us that time to clean up.